Jim, I got some more acronyms for okay, you. Okay, give it Q- to me, man. Uh, and some numbers, too. Can you uh, handle it? No, I can't. <laughs> QMSAS9100ISO9001. Do you know what that means? I do know what that means, as a matter of fact. It's two processes, QMS process, quality management system processes, AS9100 and ISO9001. And how does that work with your new ERP system? Well, what it is, Jason, we were talking earlier about the paperless system. All of the documentation that we use in AS9100 and ISO9001 is totally integrated. So no more binders? No more binders, no more signing papers. Everything's integrated into ProShop ERP, and it makes our life so much more easier and so much more efficient. So go to ProShopERP.com for more information. Welcome to Making Chips. We believe that manufacturing is challenging, but if you are connected to a community of leaders, you can elevate your skills, solve your problems, and grow your business. I'm your host, Jason Zenger, and I'm joined by my co-host, the newly healed Jim Carr. Yes, absolutely. Question. After his stint in the hospital. Did you just change that? Did I? Yes, you did. What did I do? You changed our mantra. No, I didn't. Yeah. What are you talking it's about? welcome to making chips. We believe that manufacturing is challenging, but you if you are connected to a community of leaders, you can elevate your skills, solve your problems, and grow your business. Isn't that what I said? I don't think so. I think I did. Should we go back and check it? No, let's just go. Who cares? Yeah. Who cares? Well, I think you think you've memorized it and you haven't. I have I was because trying, I'm so I guess I was I'm trying so to dang structure. I was trying I, to impress myself, but maybe I screwed it up. Yeah. So anyway, good to be here. Feels yeah. good. Uh, we've got a great guest today. I'm really anxious to share his story with the Metal Working Nation. We're here at Zenger's Industrial Supply. We are. And I, every time I come here, I always tell my team, I'm like, so what do we need? You got to need any solid carbide end mills. You need any drills. You need any WD-40, denatured alcohol, you know. Every 55 time, gallon drum of coolant. We well, can I'm not, that in your car. I'm not going to throw a 55 gallon drum of coolant in the back of my Buick. Tote? No, no, I'm not going to do that. I could do a tote. But I'm not going to put a 55-gallon drum in my trunk. <laughs> no, totes like bigger than that. Oh, is that what it is? I didn't even know. How many gallons is a tote? 250s. Oh, God. Oh, really? Didn't know that. No, that's big. That's big stuff, boy. No, although, although I might be able to put a tote. I, you know what I just bought, Jim? What'd you buy? I did, well, I didn't buy it, buy it, but I put 100 bucks on the new Tesla Cybertruck. Have you seen that? No. Yeah. It's their newest offering as far as a truck. So I'm either oh, going to- the one pe- where they went to break the windows yes, the other day? that's the one. Yeah. And then they broke, and it was a big right. fail. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That that was so lame. How in the world could they ever let that be an epic fail? Right. There's a lot of people that are saying the whole truck itself is not going to be what they actually release. But that's not going to be. Comes. Is, is that going? Isn't that going to be for the military? Th- those trucks. No. Well, he, what he those said. Those are going to be on the street. Well, yeah, those are going to be on the street. I put a hundred bucks on one, and and what do you mean you put a hundred bucks on one? It's like you a, stock? it's a reservation. No, it's a reservation for the truck. Oh God, what so, does it do? It just gets you in line to buy one of them when when they're ready to come off the production floor. Oh, so yeah. what he's saying is that it's going to be the same vehicle that's also going to be on Mars eventually. Good luck for with those that. of you out there. You can't see that I'm Jim's rolling his eyes. Yeah, it's not at all my brand. So yeah, your brand is Buick. We understand. Yeah, I know it is. I, I need the lush, mushy kind of ride and heated steering wheel, heated seats. You nice. and uh, who's the who's the the Texan that promotes Buick? No, I think you're thinking of Matt. No, I know it's Lincoln. He promotes. Oh, okay, whatever. Yeah. They're all the same. Name. Anyway, <laughs> those uncool brands. <laughs> yes. 
So, Jim, related to this episode, have you ever actually, and, and don't just make up a story, but have you actually no, thought about leaving? I'm not going well, to lie. I'm about, not going to cry either. <laughs> have you actually thought about leaving Car Machine and Tool and just doing something drastically different? Actually, good question. And I wonder if you know me well enough to know that answer. Uh, be a bartender? Yes, exactly. In my early 20s, when I worked for my dad, I was questioning whether this was it for me. But I mean, like, I didn't really, I, you know, I really didn't feel that overwhelming passion for the industry. But I don't mean like then. I mean after putting in decades, a decade or decades of work. You know, like maybe next year, be like, you know what? I'm done. I want to do something else. How about being a tooling salesman? No. You want to run Zanger's Industrial with, a, and I can, you know, go do something else? No. But I would love to take a job at our marketing company and be in that capacity. So if I were to leave industry- We have in a marketing company? We do. What's it, it called? It's called Making Chips Marketing. Oh, okay. Yeah. I didn't even know that. Yes, you did. But yes, if I were to leave CAR now, I mean, I have this plethora of knowledge of this industry. Why not pull that through into something that I really, really enjoy doing? I think um, the fact that you said plethora of knowledge means that you don't have as much knowledge as <laughs> you think you do. <laughs> Spell it. P-L-E-T-H-O-R-A? E-R-A. Oh, yeah. oh, I could be wrong, too. Anyway, yeah, no, we're not going to go there. Realistic. We're not going to go there. But yes, I would. So early in the 80s, yes, I wanted to leave Illinois. I went, oh, I had all my friends. I'm just going to go to Florida. I'm going to bartend in a hotel, and it's going to be- But now- Life's going to be amazing. Good thing I didn't do right. that. I got some- Well, you wouldn't know sen- me, so I wouldn't know bad. you. I got some sense, and I said, you know what? My family's probably had a pretty good life so far. I think that if I push through and work really hard, I can probably mirror that same kind of lifestyle. A decent family, raise a family, and I, I have to say that it's it's, it's been well. very rewarding to me and my family, albeit it's been not easy. It has been hard. So, so I, now I, you would- I have not thought about leaving industry so much as I have in the last five years, I can see the light at the end of the tunnel as far as retirement and what does retirement really look like for me. Yeah. So now you would leave if it came to working full-time for our marketing agency. I could see myself doing doing that. that. I could see myself doing that, but I would have to make sure that my son Ryan is fully equipped to manage the day-to-day of a a manufacturing company. So today's episode, we're actually going to talk about a manufacturing leader who wasn't always in the manufacturing industry and made a transition after a couple decades of doing something completely different. Completely different. He actually moved in the opposite direction of what I want to move into. Well, we'll that's okay. You know, yeah, absolutely. So what's happened at Car Machine? We're going into Thanksgiving holidays right now today. Right. And I'm seeing a really, things are really starting to drop off. Mm-hmm. The emails are, I would say, in half of what we normally would get on a typical Tuesday. But all in all, we're having a really good year. Good. And I think 2020 is going to be good too. You know, you got to keep positive mental attitude. You can't listen to what the media says. You can't be scared by that. You just got to... Like John and I and Ryan keep saying, we just got to keep working hard. Well, you got to make your own future. You just know what I mean? Keep... Like that was one of the things that I realized during our last recession. And I know we've talked about that before, but you can't just sit back and be like, oh, we're in a recession. Right. Can't do anything about it. I know. You know what's crazy though? Have you know? Have you been watching the stock market lately? No, I don't watch it's stock market. It's in record territory right now. Who would have thought? I bet you mm-hmm. Trump thought. Well, well he's, he's taking all the credit for it, but nonetheless- we're in record territory, and you know people have been saying that it's going to just die for years now, and 
look it. it I know. We're, we're I know. still there. So I know. Anyway. So Jason, what's going on at Zangers in Black, man? What I, what I thought of initially is that this is my favorite time of year because it's the planning time of year, but we're recording another episode about that, so I won't get into that. But Fingers crossed. What's on my mind right now, I'm trying to get that mist collector installed for you. So that, that's been on my mind. <laughs> trying to find an HVAC guy to install your mist collector. So I don't know. That's it. We might do it ourselves. At our oh, production really? meeting today, we said... Why can't we do it ourselves? We could, could do it yeah, ourselves. As long as you don't blame it on me. I know. Well, we're not. How can we how can we blame it on you? But we'll get it done. In the big scheme of things, it's really a small little thing that needs to get done. I wouldn't take it personally. Okay. Are well, you? I get nervous because I know you'd like things to be done. No. I, I like things to I be done. I want it to be done right. I like things to be done right, and you like things to be done right, so I want to make sure things get done right. Exactly. So. Don't worry about it. We got it. We'll Good. work we'll work it out for sure. Good. So the other the other new thing that's going on in Makeshift is we have our Christmas party coming up. Yeah. Are we doing that at the Boring Bar? Or is it not done yet? No, the Boring Bar is not done yet. I think it's slated to open, and we're going to be having a big, big grand opening when it does open our new marketing media facility in Rockford, Illinois, early 2020. And there will be a Boring Bar a bar that we can sit around and boring manufacturers can talk about boring manufacturing stuff, right? Yep, sounds good. So, so what is a boring I bar? I know now? it sounds great. The boring bar is a weekly newsletter that we send out and to why everybody. Why should I subscribe? Why should you subscribe? Because you get the insight, you get the latest, you get the stories. But what do I get that nobody get else the gets? Video. If you don't subscribe, but you get it in your inbox every week, right when it's fresh and new. You know that there's a new episode out. You know that we've got curated news articles there. Well, you actually get articles and you get videos that you wouldn't otherwise get if you right. only listen to the podcast. Absolutely. So that's a very good reason to text to 38470 and sign right up. And I'm just double checking that number before we go any further. And yes, it's 38470. Just pull out your smartphone right now and text the 38470 and you're easily subscribed. Will you text CHIPS? CHIPS, C-H-I-P-S, C-H-I-P-S to 38470. You bet. What kind of manufacturing news you got today? So this article is from Fox Business, and it's from a gentleman. I really like a lot of things that he has to say about Mm -hmm. not just our industry specifically, but about the working class industry. And it's an interview with Mike Rowe from Dirty Jobs, and the who I I, honestly I did not know anything about him. Yeah, I was uh, kind of surprised about that. Yeah, I did not know. But the title of the article is "Lack of Shop Classes Is Why We're One Point Six trillion in student debt according to Mike Rowe. So you know what that's disgusting. I know. That that is disgusting that we're 1.6 trillion dollars in student debt. I know. It's this. ridiculous. It, what what he told Fox Business was that students continue to choose the expensive career path when there's excessive demand for blue collar workers. According to Rowe, there are currently millions of jobs out there that do not require a college degree. Plenty. We know that. We know that. And one of the things I was telling you the other day as it relates to these HVAC companies not getting back to you to install that mist collector is because they're so busy because they don't have a pipeline of people to help them either. And so this I, is a I, systemic I didn't, problem. I would never have thought that HVAC, there's a lack it's of- It's a skilled job. I know. I mean, I would say that the skill level of a machinist is way higher, but an HVAC technician is right, still you need a skilled some skill. job. You, right. need, yep. you need training and everything in order sure. to get that. So what I'm going to quote Mike Rowe. What he says is, we have unintendedly maligned an entire section of our workforce by promoting one form of education at the expense of all of the other forms. So what he's saying is that we've 
thought of going to university to get a major in psychology when you have no intention of being a psychologist is the way to go as opposed to getting training to be a CNC machinist because we don't want to tell our neighbors that our kid didn't go to university because everybody gets that question when when their kids are 17, 18, where's your kid going to college? If you answer that question, well, he's going to go to get technical training to become a CNC machinist. Everybody's like, oh, I'm sorry. Right. I know. And that's terrible that that's the way that our society is. It is. When my parents asked me that same question, either you're going to go into the family business, no, either you're going to go into the family business and go to trade school or you're going to go, we're going to send you to a university. I had to think long and hard on, you know, what decision I was going to make. And I mean, I took the family manufacturing company and And that was smart. Well, you know, I don't necessarily know if it was, I guess it was, it was a decision. I made the decision to do it. You know what I think that drove me is I didn't want to fail. I didn't want my parents to think that I was a failure and that I could push through because, I mean, let's face it, in the multiple decades that I've been in this business, I've had, I've ebbed and flow with good years, bad years, recessions, good times, bad times. And I've learned a lot, but I think at the end, you just, I just don't want to fail. Failure to me is not acceptable. Well, I think that the three smartest things that you probably did in your life was a working at Car Machine Tool, B marrying the wife you met, and C meeting me. Well, that's part of it. There, there's other things. I think there's another very big element too is networking and involving myself in the TMA because it afforded me a lot of new relationships that I would have not ordinarily been exposed to. And I met a lot of great people and they rewarded me by making me the chairman so you in also, 2016. You also meet a lot of people. I think we're getting off topic. You also meet a lot of great people when you go to university. But I think the point is, is that like, if you're going to do something like that, you need to have a purpose. And like yes. when I went to, when I went to college, my purpose was to be a chemical engineer. And that was what I was going to school for. And while a lot of my, my peers at WashU were partying, you know, and three you days a week, I was, you know, like, I got to study, got to keep up with these. I was mostly competing against, to be honest, foreign exchange students that were willing to work seven days a week and study seven days a week. And I was like, I can only do six. So I got, I got by with C's in chemical engineering, but mm-hmm. I was there for a purpose. And I think that's the big thing is like, if you're going to go to school, we need to train our parents first and educate the young kids out there to like, you got to have a purpose. And I'm going to have that conversation with my daughter and say, you're not just going to go to, and I don't think she's like this because she's driven like I am. But say you're not going to go to school just to have an experience and learn to be an adult. You need to learn to be an adult at home and you need to go to university for a purpose. I could not agree with you more. And and there needs to be less people going to university. I I just see all that debt and I see... Oh, it's disgusting. It's disgusting. And... We need to start making changes. We it's really important. Yeah. So so could you could we get on with the show? Yeah, and could you I, introduce our guest? We have a great guest today, and I'm so glad that Jason suggested him to me the other day because I, I've met this gentleman before, and he's got a great great story. And we're going to hear what what changed him and brought him into our industry. So our guest today in the Making Chip Studio is John Kleinpeter. He is the founder and CEO of Forrest Bradshaw Industries, a CNC metal manufacturer in Franklin Park, Illinois, actually very close to here, and Better Good Group, a consulting firm focused on strategy and innovation for social impact 
organizations. During his 25-plus year career, John has been able to learn from and bring new insights to both for-profit and not-for-profit organizations focused on strategic clarity, leadership development, excellence in communication, and building a collaborative culture. He holds an MBA from the University of Notre Dame with a focus on strategy and innovation. His family is his first priority, as most of us are, and most important, calling. John's wife, Christina, is also a CEO and is currently on the U.S. national team for karate, making a run to qualify for the 2020 Olympics in Tokyo. His teenage sons, Gabe and Will, they love Legos, Nerf gun battles, and are often found hanging out with his dad in the CNC shop. Sounds a lot like me and a lot like my kids. Welcome to the show, John Kleinpeter. John, welcome. Thank you. It's a honor and a privilege to be here. I told you before, I'm a consumer of your podcast. So to be on the podcast of, that I've listened to hundreds of times for my own inspiration and support uh, is such an honor. So thanks. That's I great. Well, you know, here. I mean, Making Chips is a community-driven yep. platform. And, you know, we think that there's people that have a story to tell and there's stories that we have told on Making Chips over the years and there's just hundreds more. And I think yours is one of them. And I think that there's many manufacturing leaders out there that can learn from you just as you've learned from other guests that we've had on the show. And maybe even you've learned a little bit from Jim and I. Over just a the, little over bit. The, just Tons. a little bit. Yeah. Tons of learning. <laughs> Thanks, John. So, John, you spent a couple decades working in the church. And it's kind of funny because... I actually, I, I haven't like expressed this on making chips, but my goal in life is to actually transition out of industry into working for the for the church. I want to eventually become a missionary in Thailand where my wife's family wow. is from. Okay. So that's my goal. My wife's not on board yet, but that's the goal. And you actually <laughs> moved in the opposite direction, which is not, not common. So why did you move out of the church into the manufacturing industry? Yeah, I know that doesn't seem like a logical progression. Well, I mean, I don't know if it's li- – yeah, it's it's kind of a – It's interesting, yeah, for it's sure. Interesting. It, is, it definitely yeah. is interesting, and I, I look forward to hearing you tell the Metalworking Nation all about it. Yeah, so for 22 years, I was a pastor in local churches in Chicago area mostly, a couple years in Minneapolis, Minnesota. And in some ways, I was a bit of a reluctant pastor where I loved the people. I loved the opportunity to see – People who were facing hard things find a community to help them resolve those hard things. And my faith has always been very important to me and governs my decisions and how I live my life. The church organization wasn't always the easiest thing for me. I've and heard that before. It's a little, yeah. it can oh, be a little organization. bit of, yeah, the structure, the, yep. the mechanism. Icky, as we sometimes yeah. say. Yeah, it sure can. Can be. So I didn't ever love that part. I always loved the people and the journey. So Toward the end of my time working at a church, I ended up going back to school, getting my MBA, and feeling like there was something different for my next career. My next season, 20-some-year run, was going to be a little different than my first run had been. So that's how I ended up leaving. So why CNC machining? I mean, was it something you were passionate about? Obviously, you knew what it was, right? You, <laughs> Some you, of it. <laughs> hopeful, I mean, hopefully you knew what yeah. CNC... Because like, most of the people that we meet, you know, you go to a cocktail party or a Thanksgiving party or a holiday party and you tell people you're in manufacturing and they, they or CNC, their eyes start like, to blur over yeah. and they're like... Ugh. And then you tell them what, what CNC he, means and then they're even more confused. They're even more confused. So... Why CNC machining, John? It's a great question. So my grandfather, who the company's named after, Forrest Bradshaw, 
That's uh, a great, strong name, right? Yeah, I love the Forrest name. Forrest Bradshaw. It might be a Tom Hanks for some reason. I don't know why. Run, run, Forrest. Yeah. So he was my hero growing up, and he was a lifelong machinist. And what I saw in him was the expression of intellect, a little like the micro category you talked about earlier, the intellect being expressed through your hands rather than through an education system that rewards a certain kind of thinking. So I knew I was going to start something uh, after some, working with some clients in the consulting side, realizing my passion was actually job creation and the hope that brings to a young individual. So decided to figure out what is the best opportunity to create specifically living wage jobs, not just menial jobs where someone has to grind and, and not be able to make a living. Pushing a button or something Yeah, and like not that, support yeah. a family. and not. Mm-hmm. It doesn't get people to that next level of right. generational opportunity. You don't want somebody to be like pushing a button on the CNC machine and then having to work in the evening and not That's being exactly able to see right. their family. So as we all know, there are significant opportunities for living wage jobs in manufacturing more than most industries. More than most. Yeah, it's we talk about this all the time on the show that it's the highest paying career that you can have as a CNC machinist without a college education. And that's our real target is to help people who college maybe isn't the right opportunity for them, mm-hmm. but they're, they still deserve an opportunity to express their intellect and to create a better future. Mm-hmm. So that's sort of how it all came about and worked with a couple brokers and looked at different companies that were for sale and ended up acquiring a 38-year-old CNC company from a, a guy who'd Moved to this country and built it, the American dream. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he was an immigrant, right? He was, yeah. Okay. A Polish immigrant who and built it from lo- nothing. A lot of, I mean, fun, kind of a fun fact for the metalworking nation. I think it's, Chicago is the city with the second most Polish people oh, in the yeah, entire world. Oh, yeah, for sure. Next to there's, Warsaw. That's right. like, there's so yeah. many people immigrated to Chicago from Poland that it's just, if you've never been in, our, in the industry here in Chicago, you might not know that, but it's it's very, very common. Yeah, so Bogusław Jenshura uh, is his <laughs> name, go, you and your, he... Okay. He created this company from nothing and yeah. built it and then was ready to retire and was looking to hand it to someone. And we. He did not have any uh, like children. He or... did, but they had other career aspirations and are okay. thriving in theirs. His son and daughter are both thriving in theirs. So he wanted to find someone then on the outside to take it to the, that next level. And Very that's interesting. Why I got involved. Great. Awesome. So tell us a little bit about your the nonprofit that you have. Just briefly, I know that's not really manufacturing related, but what do you do in that nonprofit? Yeah, so it's actually a for-profit company, but we oh, work sorry. with a lot okay. of not-for-profit organizations. Got it. It's a consulting company helping okay. with strategy and innovation. We work with some corporate, some not-for-profit, and then some churches as well to try and help them do what they're trying to do better with a more strategic alignment okay. uh, across the organization. Is it similar to like an EOS? It's very similar. It's trying to bring structure and organization and intentionality I think that's the essence of strategy is bringing an intentional future into the purview of the organization. And so that's what we try and do. Okay. So going along with just that, that development of like a mission and a vision for your company, what is the purpose of Forrest Bradshaw? So our purpose is to inspire hope for a better future through living wage job opportunities in precision metal manufacturing. This idea came from one of my early clients on the consulting side was Starbucks. And they are a very intentional company around creating opportunities. And we did this hiring initiative across the country to try and get 100,000 jobs for at-risk youth across the country. What is an at-risk youth? Can you, can you break that down just for me? Just A lot of it's about economic opportunity. Okay. People who are living in neighborhoods and areas of cities that don't have the same economic opportunity for jobs that other neighborhoods or suburbs do. Gotcha. So we would do these events where we'd have 12 to 1,500 jobs available on a day. 
and 2,000 kids would come through and they'd be interviewed and I'd see them come in scared and hopeless and I would see them leave with a job offer in their hand filled with hope, realizing that they have a future. To work it, for this fabulous brand, you know? That's exactly right. Right, and, and it's I, a huge brand and everyone knows it. It's got all, all this public relations around it and it's it's a positive thing, right? And a brand that provides health insurance and provides college opportunity if that's their right next step. And so it's more than just a job, although that that's where I really saw the hope and opportunity for these young adults. So through that process, I thought, well, I love helping other companies do that. I want to build a company myself with a team that actually creates and provides those jobs. So that's where this mission came from and what we're trying to live. And we've been doing it for 16 months now. And it's a crazy roller coaster. That's great. Great. John. great. Love it. And Jim, if I were to characterize the whole notion of like an at-risk youth, you've got three kids. And if any one of them ever got into a situation where, say, they couldn't find a job, they couldn't support themselves, they didn't know what they wanted to do in the future, it would be very simple for them to go to you and you would be able to give them guidance you probably be I able to use your. That. You still do that. You probably be able to lend your connections. I do. You I provided do. an education for them before that. I did. But there's a lot of kids out there that, that don't don't that have any of those things. They and don't. So they have nowhere to go to, and so that's where they're vulnerable, and they need somebody like John who can provide that guidance for them, or an organization that can do that. Well, I, I say you parent your kids to a certain age, and then when they become adults, you mentor them. Right, so but but some kids some kids don't, don't have, have that opportunity. They don't. They just to be never mentored. had a parent. Right, you know what I mean. I, so I get like it. that's where that comes into play. Yeah. We talk about in terms of a safety net. Like if something right. happens in any of our lives, we have some people around us who We're would be that safety net. Yeah, right. and these are young adults who don't have that, and mm-hmm. they're actually the hope for their next generations and their family as they get these kind of job opportunities. And we see that in manufacturing too, right? Like we partner with. Leiden high schools to try and create jobs for high school students who are going through shop programs so that they can see their own future as hopeful as well. Yeah. I mean, I mentioned to you an organization that I, I love called GRIP Outreach for Youth, and they have their Future Steps program where they're helping these kids in high school get that guidance and get that just that person that can help them to make it through high school. But now they're saying, okay, we got them through high school. How do we get them into a job? And so that's where that future steps comes into play. And you're doing that, trying to accomplish that very much one-on-one in your company. And I think that's a great thing. Yeah, Yeah, it's a great mission, John. And what are the core values of Forrest Bradshaw? Share with us a little bit about that. Because really, at the end of the day, it's really all about your mission, your purpose, and your core values. I believe your core values is something that needs to be practiced on a daily basis. You hire, fire, and retain employees based on those beliefs. So share with us a little bit about your core values. Yeah, I would say our foundational value is integrity. Okay. And to be honest and candid, in manufacturing, that can feel a bit countercultural. Sure can. And there have been moments where I felt a bit crazy in this season. Two months into me owning the company, we had a lightning strike on our building that took out three of our five machines and our computer system that controls everything and does our programming. It was one of those nightmare situations. What do you mean by took them out? It sent an Like you had to reboot them or? No, No. they were not working. The boards went out. It took us up to a month to get everything back. Yikes. Yikes. Tens of thousands of dollars. And so we were working with our insurance company and they were very helpful, which was, you know, was always great. And but the repair guy who was helping us at the time, he came to me and said, okay, I'm going to put this bill together for you. What do you want your take to be? Because this is what I do for my people. And I said, no, just whatever it costs, bill us for that. And he said, well, at least let me roll the 
deductible in for your insurance company. So my guys are standing there with me and I, that's one oh, of those moments. Even worse. Where because it's a crossroads, Now right? you see all your employees are waiting for you to make that decision, that integrity. He said integrity. Is he going to live integrity right. at a cost, right? Like that was thousands of dollars that could have been in our cash flow. Right. Had a similar situation. We were buying a machine where there was an opportunity to have one invoice that gets submitted and one that gets reclassed and provides income. Well, I, I know that there are competitors who are doing things differently. In fact, there's this great entrepreneur uh, thinker out there. His name is Naval. And he recently said, if ethics were profitable, everyone would be doing it, right? <laughs> it's very true. And so what we found is, and what we've really made a foundational belief for us is integrity matters. Even when hard, we will make the right decision. And some days, again, just totally candidly, I think I'm crazy and stupid for doing it that way because it feels like the game is stacked against us. Let's talk about this a little bit because yeah. what, what do you mean? Where is this coming from? Because obviously this means a lot to you. Yep. So where are you feeling the ickiness of this? Well, Jim, I, I mean, I have a story. This is very common in my business. But we're not interviewing you, Jason. I want to hear Jason's story. No, we don't. We want to no, hear no, your this is story, just, No, this John. is just very brief. Okay, I mean, it's very, it's very common in, in our industry in cutting tool sales where we know that there's potential customers out there that will never get their business because we're not willing to pay off oh, the, yeah, the foreman or the machinist or somebody else in order to get the business. I mean, we as a company, you talk about purpose. I mean, we work for the owner of the company. We don't you really work, do. We don't work for the guy in the you shop. Don't. If we're going to do work for the guy in the shop, it's because we want to make him look good to the owner, but we're not going to pay him off in order to get the business because right. that's lack of integrity. It's not our purpose, but there's a lot of people out there that will do that. Plus, you've seen it before. You've talked about it. You're sending a signal to your employees that that's says exactly right. that's okay. You're green lighting that. Yeah. And it just completely erodes your culture. You see it a lot in scrap. Yeah. Yes. So we early on, thanks to some really important guidance, we got involved in TMA, which has been a lifesaver for me to have some mentoring, to have that resource. We had a initially had a scrap dealer that they'd used for years where everything was under the table. There was no transparency to it. So we quickly found a new ethical partner. That's Our friend Amy Aaron. Amy Aaron, yeah, with United Scrap. They've just been so great to work with. That's and, who we use too. Yeah, but what we've learned is if that's going to be a foundational value, it changes who your vendors are. It changes who your customers are sometimes. Absolutely it changes, changes who your customers who you are. Yeah. It changes all of that. And some days that feels great. And some days it's a if I'm transparent about it, there are days where it is harder to make those choices. Right, because you know you could have a couple extra thousand dollars in your pocket and that would go a long way. Absolutely. But yeah, that's you got to live by your values though. Yeah. So that that's a foundational value for us. Thanks and, for sharing yeah. that, John. Yeah. You know, a lot of people would not say that. And I respect you for saying that. So nice. so you and you have three more core yeah, or so four more core values. Quality that's kind of an industry standard, right? You don't do precision manufacturing without quality as a value. You got to have quality. Because you can't send parts that aren't accurate. So quality is important to us. Respect. And that's just, this is probably governed by my faith, to be honest, that I, we just believe that every person has inherent worth and yeah. value. And so our employees treat each other See and our customers. Day. Yeah. It's like this all made by the creator and in, yeah. in his image and that matters. And so we should treat everyone with that sort of dignity and respect. Even you, Jim Carr. Even me. Especially Jim Carr. Yeah, especially me. And teamwork is one where we, we don't mind saying what we don't know. We come together to come up with solutions for our challenges. And then service, we really want to serve our customers. 
even our vendors. Like when someone comes in our shop, I want them to leave with that being a bright part of their day, not a frustrating part. And so with our customers too, we really have tried to, from what it used to be, really try to engage in new levels of customer service. And what does it mean to know our buyer who's working? Like I, I know what's going on in their lives because that they matter and I want them to know that. So that level of service. And it just adds... It's part of the relationship that you're you're building and absolutely the stickiness, as our friend would say. So, John, part of our mantra that we say here on Making Chips, part of our intro, we say manufacturing is challenging. So when you got into the CNC machining business, did you think that it was going to be challenging? Did you think it was going to be easy? What sort of surprised you about our industry? I didn't think it would be easy. I had no idea how challenging it would be. Okay. Once a week, I ask myself, what the hell was I thinking? Mm -hmm. You know, like I could be working for someone else who writes me a paycheck every two weeks, you know? So there are plenty of moments where I have had this pause and say, okay, I, I believed in this. I still do. This too shall pass. A lightning strike 61 days into owning the company. That was not ideal. Very hard month after that when we've had a slow quarter. That's challenging. Cash flow is extremely challenging when the payables and the receivables are not aligned. We had two customers, and they're great customers, but they added 15 days to their payables without notification. So I start making calls. Hey, you guys have been real consistent. We we changed our terms. Our controller changed our terms, and we can't. Nobody told you. Yeah, you didn't know? No, how would I have known? So those are just some, you know, the day-to-day challenges of it. There are really so many. I it's honestly the hardest thing I've ever done. Really? I thought really? that guiding people in their spiritual journey and the, the pain and hardness, I thought that was challenging. I don't think it <laughs> can hold. Well, you'll, you'll get a little calloused and sure. you'll, you'll know. And the more that you're in this industry, you'll, you'll let things just go right over the, your head. So yeah, you're taking things a little personally sure. and, and you just don't know. It's all new to you, right? Right. But I think that you have the right mindset on what, how you want to run your business, because that is what's going to drive everything else, right? right? Right. You have your core values, the reason why you went into business, you know what you want to do. All the other stuff is just going to be learned experiences. You know what I mean? Yeah. So that's going to come naturally sure. and through the day to day and year to year and decade to decade. And, you I, know? and I resonate with that. And I, it's certainly yeah. gotten better even. Of course it has. But of I, course there are it days, has. and maybe this is helpful for some other people out there. I know this podcast has been helpful for me. There are days I just wake up with that sense of fear of what bill is due what project are I we getting behind the on? That's what John, that will never change. That'll <laughs> never change. Yeah, and, and what gets me through those days, again, my, my faith is important in that, but my belief in my team. Yeah, that means you care. Right. But my belief in my team, my belief that things do work out for the better on the long, the long arc, but they're daily fears and anxieties. And Yeah, my young sales manager told me once when we were going through a couple of bad issues, he said, you know, somebody told me once, think about the problem we have now and say, is this problem we have today really going to matter in one to three years? Well, no, it's That's not. a great question. One to three years. Oh my God, this is going to be like, going to be completely irrelevant. Mm-hmm. So we'll just get through it. Yeah. And then we'll see what's at, the other, what's at the other side of this issue. And we're going to definitely learn from this. And then we're going to make better decisions when that same issue comes up again. So, well, I, I remember when my company was about 20% the size of, of what it is now. And we had a customer that was 
25% of our business. And I remember they were making a consolidation to like a national agreement, which at the time we have the capabilities now, but at the time we didn't have those capabilities and that business was going bye-bye. And I was like, I don't know what tomorrow is going to look like yeah. if we lose this business. Right. And now here we are, you know, 10, 15 years later and we're five times the size and because they, you we don't have through. them as a client and we pushed through and we just kind of gritted it out and we knew what our purpose was and we made it through that transition. You and know? I think the resilience that to just every day get back up yeah. and go back yep. at it, yeah. that's Yeah, it's that grittiness. Key. Yep. That grittiness. So what's in store for you for the future? Well, we want to grow. We, okay. Again, if the purpose is to create living wage jobs, we want to create more of them. So okay. the hope is to continue to grow. We're hit, December will be our best month yet, which is Great. encouraging. Congratulations. Yeah. We've got a new machine today, which is awesome. Yeah, that's What'd really- you get? We got a VF2, nice. a Haas, and actually in the history of the company, it's the first brand new machine. So nice. it's going to take that's us awesome into some new opportunities. So trying to build for growth, invest for growth, and then to continue to create hope for manufacturing workers. That's where it's all at. So great growth. We want to grow, grow, grow. Awesome. 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 So John, it's, it's been a pleasure to meet you and, and hear your story. And I'm sure that it's resonating with a lot of manufacturing leaders out there in this big, beautiful country of ours. But what I, we normally do at the end of an episode is ask our guest, what advice would you give to any aspiring manufacturing leaders who are thinking about starting or buying a business in this industry? Wow. That's a big question. That's a big question. And take a deep breath, think about it, and give me three to five bullets. Know who you are apart from that, because if that defines you, you'll have even harder days. Keep your values at the center of everything you do and choose. One of the unique opportunities I had in being a pastor for 22 years was I got to see people in their final moments of life. It just kind of comes with the job. You're there with the family. You get the phone call, you got to go to the hospital. Yeah, when someone's passing on to the next thing. And that is a profound perspective giver. You mean when people are transitioning? Right. Okay. And what matters to them? It's not all the things. It's not working harder. It's those four to six people who are around them. And what I would say to anyone in any job, but specifically for manufacturing, keep the end of life priorities front and center to make sure you're making those choices every day that help that ending go how you hope. And that's, again, living out those values and not destroying your family in the pursuit of a great company, I think is a worthwhile endeavor. A lot of people have. Yeah, that's great. I mean, you got to look at one of the the best piece of advice I ever heard was like, you know, look at what your funeral would look like and take some steps backwards. And I think it's easy for us to, as my wife has called me to be as owners of of manufacturing companies or just owners of businesses, be intense. It's especially about our work. And I'm trying to be less intense so that when it comes to that time, I'm not just defined by my business. That's right. And if I could too, just just thank you. You're welcome. Both of you. There are a lot of us out there where the podcast, like when we're kind of at our wits end, it's just, it reminds us we're not alone. Your commitment, your brand promise to inspire and equip absolutely happens. I've had so many inspirational moments and equipping moments from the two of you and your guests. So I just keep this up. It's 
really important to thank you. not just young manufacturers out there, but I would guess everyone's learning something from this. So thank you. Sure. You're thank welcome. you. We appreciate that. Yeah. I mean, that's our purpose in making chips and that's what drives us. So we appreciate you giving us that encouragement. And sometimes it's tough. And yeah, it's, it is. sometimes like, it's really like 2019. Tough. Yeah, it was exactly. a tough year for us. And, and you know, but we need to look back and say, well, what's our purpose and really focus on that. So thank you. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Wow, that was that good. Was good. That felt I, I great. got some goosebumps, Jim. Did you? Yeah. Good. You know, you always say like when we goosebump moment. during a making chips episode, we have to look for that goosebump moment. Mm-hmm. I think I think John helped us to deliver that goosebump moment. Absolutely. Well, it's he had some great thought to think about, and I'm glad we uh, had him on today. Yeah. As a matter of fact. So, what'd you learn? What's your takeaways? You know, I've been thinking about this lately and really to go back and define our purpose and define our kind of, you know, another word for that would be like our vision and our mission, more specifically our mission. And I, I really need to do that. And I, and I had already thought Are you about- talking about Zanger's Black? You're talking about making yeah, chips yeah, Zang, No, I think we got it nailed down for, for making chips. I'm, okay. I'm, I'm very happy with our purpose there, but I'm talking about Zanger's and Black and really saying what's our purpose and, and sitting down with people that want to participate in crafting that because we've got our values. And I just don't think that we, we need our rallying cry. I think I have it in my my head, but I also want to. I want to get it from my team and make sure that they're on the same page with me because I like with the core values. We de- we had an episode about this. We developed that as a team. I don't want to have our purpose developed by just me. It needs to be developed by the team as well. So, what about you? I've just learned. I think that just by meeting a lot of great people on this show and showcasing everyone's diversity in a way that they overcome issues and and handle problems in their life that it's helped me personally and professionally both to mitigate all those problems. I mean, it's been, yeah, it's been a tough year. You know, I I got really sick this year and it was a, a culmination of a lot of things that I wasn't doing right. Stress was one big thing. And I just, I don't get that worried about stuff anymore. I can't let it bother me anymore because at the end of the day, I can only do the best I can do. I'm only one person, right? I'm only one person. So I just do the best I can do. And as long as I know I'm doing that, then say la vie. Yeah, you have chilled out a little bit. So that's good. I have. I have. So that's it. Because at the end of the day, if you're not making chips, you're not creating living wage jobs. Absolutely. Bam. Hey, Jason, you know, Car Machine and Tool is really starting to integrate into top-tiered aerospace and defense customers. I have to tell you, it has been really pushing us out of our comfort zone. And I've got so many questions. You know, Mark Gallagher from Zometry, he's a friend of mine. I've talked to him a few times in the past. I know he just got a new role at Zometry because they're trying to penetrate that industry too. I'm going to give him a quick call. Hello? Hey, Mark. It's Jim from Making Chips. How are you today? Hey, Jim. I'm good. How about you? I'm great. Thank you. I'm glad you answered the phone because I just want to let you be privy to the fact that you are live on Making Chips right now. So I just have some questions for you. I understand from Aaron that you took a new role at Zometry and you're now out in California. Is that right? That's right. Yeah. And can you share with, with me and the Metalworking Nation a little bit about what that role is about and the objective of you moving to California was for? Yeah, absolutely. So my new title is is Senior Manager of Operations at Zometry. And the focus of opening a West Coast office is just 
to better support the aerospace and defense customers that call the West Coast their home. And there are definitely quite a few of them. So we just wanted to be local. I totally get it too. Car is is really trying to penetrate that industry as well. We, we found it's a really good fit for what we do. Obviously, Zometry feels as though they have some partner companies that they can offshoot that work to as well. But man, I have to tell you, it's been tasking some of the requirements do you have a couple minutes? Maybe we can go over some of these things. I just want to define them and make sure that maybe I can learn something from you and maybe you can learn something from me as well. So first and foremost, Mark, let's talk about ITAR. And ITAR, you can be ITAR compliant and then you can be ITAR registered, right? Yes. Okay, yep. so Zometry, I'm sure, is ITAR registered. You have that registration number from the federal government that says that you meet all the criteria for ITAR. Yes, we do. So CAR is ITAR compliant. We have not been asked yet to fill out a or go online and become registered yet. What would be the, the impetus for us to do that in advance of that? Yeah, yeah. So the federal agency that completes the ITAR registration is the DDTC. And we found it very, very useful. Being ITAR compliant to start with does open up a lot of opportunities for you. But being ITAR registered just really simplifies things when you're going through audits with a lot of these customers. And a lot of the time, ITAR registration is one of the most basic barriers between you getting work with some of these customers and not getting work with some of these customers. So I would definitely always recommend shops that work with a lot of aerospace and defense customers to become ITAR registered for sure. Right. And let's just define that when you do register, they don't come out and do a physical audit at your particular company. No, no. I was mostly referring to like customer audits or customers when they're onboarding you as a supplier to them. If you have that ITAR registration number, that makes things a lot simpler in many cases. Now that we're talking about ITAR, let's talk a little bit about some of the requirements of ITAR. Like you have to have secure data transfer. Like you can't just send a print from the customer to the vendor or the vendor to the outsourcing company. It has to be either a password protected PDF or else you have to download it off of a customer site, right? Correct. It does make some of your communication with the customer a little bit more complicated. So at Zometry, we have to store all of the ITAR registered files or the, the, all the files that would fall under ITAR compliance on secure servers. And then definitely when you're communicating with customers, you can't just be emailing PDFs back and forth. No way. A lot of the customers we're seeing in response to this, they're basically developing their own customer portals where you communicate with them through those portals. If you need to mark up a drawing or give them feedback on something as you're manufacturing a part, they'll have a portal. But otherwise, yeah, you have to password protect your drawings or photos. And we're also seeing a lot of customers with documentation delivery, they're going to electronic formats that you have to send over secure servers as well. Yeah, I found that to be the biggest thing with regards to ITAR. Is there anything else? Obviously, there are staffing considerations with who you can have working in your shop and who you can have accessing the ITAR, the data that falls under ITAR registration. Right. You really have, when, when people come into our facility, they have to sign in. Yep. We have an iPad out in our lobby, and they have to sign off saying that they're not a foreign national and if they are, and then everyone has to be tagged that they're a U.S. Mm -hmm. citizen and they have to sign a, a document. Absolutely. It's the same deal when I go and visit customers that are dealing with export controlled IP. 
I've had to take my passport different places. You you go through a lot of vetting to visit some of the customers. Yeah, I've been to companies already that have, I've had to give them my cell phone even to meet with procurement. I couldn't even go into their offices. I'd I'd have to even do like a 10-minute safety test. They generally don't like when you ask to join their Wi-Fi in those situations. (laughs) No, they definitely don't. They definitely don't. Another thing that we're, we're really learning about too at CAR is DFARS. DFARS mm-hmm. is about the material, right? Yeah, absolutely. And, and generally it's referring to metallics, but at Zometry, we kind of open up the umbrella a little bit more. It, so if something requires ITAR registration, it doesn't necessarily mean you have to use DFARS compliance. You really just have to look at the quality clause flow downs that come with your POs. But definitely if you're working with aerospace and defense companies, it's much more common that they'll have restrictions on the origin of the material you're working with. And right. there are, it has to come from qualifying countries. Yes, exactly. And that's that's what the DFARS is saying. Of the metal-producing countries, I would say the two to watch out for is China and Russia. Yeah, I totally agree. It's amazing how much of the materials that we get from our vendors that are from those particular countries, unless you tell oh, yeah. them it has to be DFARS. Yeah, they're, they're absolutely huge producers of, of metallic raw materials. And with some, it's definitely something you have to be really careful about with material suppliers because a lot of suppliers now are essentially distributors and sometimes a little bit opaque where the material is actually coming from. They might tell you it meets certain AMS or ASTM specs or something like that, right? but they might not tell you the the origin of the material. So if you have a contract that flows down and it states that DFARS compliant material is required and you see a supplier that has what you're looking for, doesn't necessarily state it's domestic material or it's made in you know Europe or in a DFARS compliant country definitely worth giving that supplier a call or shooting them an email and just making sure because oh man you definitely I run into situations where you order a high value worth of material and right. it shows up on your dock and it's, it's not usable oh I know uh, if the print says titanium TI alloy 6AL slash 4V anneal per SAE AMS 6930 it better darn well be that because and you better have a material cert that says that's exactly what it is and then a certificate of conformance to go along saying that that's exactly what you bought yeah there's tiers of work for these aerospace and defense customers too right when if they're just prototyping something and you're in the quoting stage with them and you say you know i can make this part for you but that ams spec you have is is a plate spec and i'd really like to make this from bar sometimes in the prototyping stages and if you if you bring it up during the quoting process, they'll be okay with it. But if you're moving to production or something that's a flight component or fracture critical or something like that for one of these aerospace and defense companies, they're generally not going to waive the print requirements. And you 100% better make sure that your material cert lists the AMS spec or the ASTM spec if there's a specific temper. This is something you really have to be careful about. You You really do. Once you've been stung, you're very cognizant of it the next time. Yeah, and, and absolutely. And one thing I look out for is sometimes engineers will will put a specification on the print because it's what their their engineering guidelines state. But sometimes it's just not physically possible. You know, some tempers only come in certain thicknesses. Right. So you have to watch out for discrepancies between what temper you can actually get a material stock in. Right. And those conversations are much much easier to have. In advance. In the quoting stage. <laughs> yes, then when I you've got a part in a machine and it's, you're trying to convince them why something's okay. <laughs> all right. It's all about good communication. Absolutely. Absolutely. I could not agree with you more. So w- with that, what we're learning with these top-tiered 
customers is we got to really read all the terms and conditions that are the purchase order says like supplemental supplier quality mm-hmm. requirement clauses, first article inspection reports, special process certifications. If we're doing a part that has to go out for chem film or chemical conversion or electrolysis nickel, they want a special process certification that says it's been to this or heat treating. They want a certification that it says it has actually been tested at 46 to 52 Rockwell C. And then, of course, the material certifications as well. Are you running into a lot of your customers that are telling you that you've got to use their own, their approved special process vendors? Absolutely. Yeah. And I'm sure I'm sure if there's um, any Zometry partners listening, they've they've seen us flowing down those requirements as, as well. You know, definitely when you're venturing into the working with these type of customers, there's a lot more overhead than just working with customers that are asking for basic prototyping parts for you. And it's yes. definitely worth investing some time to understand all of the kind of nuance of that particular customer's requirements, especially if you know you want to develop them into a very large customer for your shop. The companies don't always make it very easy to parse what they're looking for, but I agree. it's definitely, definitely worth it. And and we see very often where customers have put together a list of approved suppliers for different processes that they've audited. They've sent supplier quality engineers out to. Right. And as a result, they want you to use them. And it's a little bit tedious. You know, sometimes you have to develop some new relationships with partners that you finishers or heat treaters or material suppliers that you wouldn't normally use. But if you want to work with that customer... Sometimes it's it's what you have to do, and, and you have to make sure that, that that flows down onto your travelers so that sure. if you have somebody handling outsourcing and finishing, they know that it has to go to a certain supplier gotcha. as well. Well, Mark, I want to be respectful of your time. I appreciate you picking up the call and, and giving me a little bit better insight. Looks like we're trending in the right direction, and hopefully maybe Car Machine can be a premier partner for you in the, in the future, considering that we're going down the same avenue as well. And anybody else that's listening to the show, maybe if they're working within these parameters, maybe that'd be a good fit for somebody in the future as well. So reach out to uh, our friends at Zometry. Mark will be tagged in this particular episode through LinkedIn, and I'm sure he could guide you in the right direction. So Mark, thanks again for picking up the call and talking to me and being live on Making Chips, and uh, we appreciate your insight. Thank you very much, Jim. Thanks for listening to the Making Chips podcast. Jim and Jason knew that the metalworking nation, the community of world-class makers, needed to commit to a new way of leading to stay ahead of the competition. So, Making Chips was created to fill that void, to give you advice from other manufacturing leaders who can push you to take action. Your manufacturing challenges have a solution. And many of them are at makingchips.com. I know you only like to talk about yourself, but you're supposed to ask me about what's going on with me. Oh, that's right. <laughs> I totally got lost there. Sorry, I Brandon. You got lost in yourself. <laughs> no. Jim gets lost in himself quite often. That's why I need to have a show structure. <laughs>